welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yeah. How you doing? I'm in a, I, I'm in a contentious mood now. Why is that? Because you gave me some attitude right before we were recording. Uh, I was in a perfectly good mood. I, I uh, because I was in a good mood, I was being goofy during our sound sound check. Yeah, and you uh, rained all over my parade. I'm sorry. Some of us got places to be, and we can't be. <laughs> That's nothing to do with it. <laughs> it didn't take me any longer to be goofy. No, but it, but that's the thing. Your goofiness led to my just just getting so exhausted, and that caused me to take longer with my yeah. with my sound check. So I think you need to look inside yourself. I feel like I, oh, is that what I need to yeah. do? I feel like I've done enough of that in this world. Um, okay, so not enough for my tastes. All right, fair enough. <laughs> um, okay, sorry everybody for that. Uh, first off, special thanks to uh, Matthias Stork for last week's yeah. episode. It was really wonderful. Uh, we've gotten a lot of compliments on it, and so um, yeah, that was a lot of fun. And hopefully, we can have him back uh, sometime soon. Uh, did want to specify. So last episode, I made reference to having a guest this episode and possibly having a, not possibly, but having a guest from Australia next episode. Neither of those are going to happen. <laughs> we do not have a guest this time. And then the, the guest from Australia had some passport troubles. Is still in Australia? Is still in Australia right now. So, uh, and he will be as of uh, next week's record. So, uh, so we're going to try and get both guests sometime later, uh, maybe in yeah. February or March or something. Uh, so you get more of us. Exactly. I hope there that's what. You, yeah, there Especially were now when we're you and I are bickering. Oh man! Well, that, that'll Let's, tie into our episode. It sure way. will. And I know this is very exciting. So um, maybe I could smash some dishes or something. You know, while we're um, talking about corrections, do you remember back when we did our like, um, excuse me, our winter movie preview or what have you? Uh, yes. And I talked about a movie that was coming out called Lucy's, and I said that it was di- starring and directed by Peter Facinelli. Okay. Um, no, he wrote it. He didn't direct it. Okay. And no one called me on it. <laughs> Usually if I say something wildly wrong, I'll get an email or a tweet. But I don't think anyone cares about this yeah, movie. Yeah, let's throw out some <laughs> theories as to why no one <laughs> yeah. corrected you. So, um, yeah. But Peter Facinelli could have listened and been like, did I direct that? Oh. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. But it actually like came out in the past week, and so I was reading a review, and it mentioned the director, and then said written by Peter Facinelli, and I remembered that I had said it said that he directed it, and I felt compelled to correct myself. Uh, yes, I also, uh, when we were trying to figure out who James Badge Dale was and where I had seen him before, I got him confused with somebody uh, in 310 to Yuma, whose name I still can't pull. Uh, I could probably just take my DVD over there and look, but I'm not going to because I'm already sitting down. Uh, but no, James Badge Dale was not in 310 to Yuma. I remember, from, I remember seeing him in uh, The Pacific, the HBO oh, yeah. uh, miniseries. Well... Um, speaking of Lucy's, that's a movie from 2011. We're going to get in, well, we, there's some, there, and also not a, I haven't seen it, not getting great reviews. Okay. Not getting a lot of attention, but when it is getting attention, it's not been great. Okay. But this puts me in mind, there's a conversation you and I have had pretty much every week for the past month. As we talked about, we tend to shoot the shit a little bit before we hit record, you know, mm-hmm. to get into, um podcast mode you know um or sometimes to ruin the mood by being unnecessarily uh rude to your co-host and holding grudges uh, apparently <laughs> um uh and a thing that has come up every week because we uh, uh sort of the biggest 
topic of a conversation that you and I have with each other is what have you watched in the past week? Right. Um, and at this time of year, because we're we do our best of the week before the Oscars, best of the year, um, we tend to spend this time of year catching up uh, on a lot of stuff, um, and so. A lot of the movies we've been watching recently have been recent movies, and so there's been a big topic of conversation between us ongoing that has maybe spilled onto the podcast a little bit, but I can't remember can't remember how much um, about whether or not 2011 was a good year for film. Mm-hmm. And I uh, contend that it was a very, very good year. Uh, I think it is a fine year. I think it is it is good, and and the more we talk, and the more movies I see the more I, th- I I realize that it's it is a transitional year. It is a passing of the baton kind of year. Um, specifically because, and by the way, I'm, I'm about to talk about some movies that I haven't seen. So, but, but based on things that David has told me and I've read elsewhere, um, this is, this is the year where, and some of this is also my opinion, where dependable filmmakers that we, that we know turn out good work or in some cases have turned out amazing work. Um, they, they turn out, uh, films that I think are, are somewhat minor. And I know I'm going to piss people off when I say this, but I haven't seen War Horse. You have. Yeah. You did not like it. No. Okay. Uh, the Inv- Adventures of Tintin is being called a fun movie, but and there's nothing worth, nothing bad about fun, but really nothing that amazing. So Spielberg, a man who is known for making not merely big movies, but can turn out amazing film. This is kind of a minor year for him, and he's done two movies mm-hmm. this year. Maybe that's why it's a minor year. Especially I don't know. Ninety three was Schindler's List in Jurassic Park. Now I may not love Jurassic Park, but you know, it's yeah. <laughs> those are not small right, movies. Right, They're not right. minor films. Um, Woody Allen, I like Midnight in Paris quite a bit, and I think other people do. However, if if Woody Allen was turning out the kind of work consistently that we know he can turn out. Midnight in Paris would be seen as a ple- just a pleasant film, and a- at best. But because he's been turning out mostly, I won't say crap, but sub sub Woody Allen films lately, mm-hmm. uh, this is a it's like Match Point, where by that time he had done like Curse the Jade Scorpion and anything else, and all these other movies that are forgettable and nobody cares about. And then Match Point comes along, and at the very least, people paid attention because it was different for him in tone, even though the story is pretty much recycled from crimes and misdemeanors. But, uh, and so, but that film is really, it's, you're not a big fan of match point, right? I like it. I'm not sure if I'd say I love it, but, uh, so midnight in Paris, I do like that. And you like that. I think I like it quite a bit more than you, but I still would. Yeah. It just, it just dropped out of my top 10. It was in my top 10 for a long time. It's, I, I can't really think of a lot of things I don't like about it. You liked it more than I did then. Um, but I've really seen more movies. This you've year. seen more movies than I have, um, but that's the thing: is is Midnight in Paris? It's perfectly fine. But when you compare it to the other works of this director, specifically the works that that we know he can do, it's it's only it's fine. I can't well, really think of anything to complain about. And then you've got some other examples. I've got. I just saw Carnage, a movie that I liked more than you. Mm-hmm. But Polanski can be a very reliable filmmaker, and this is a minor film by him. 
again, I don't mean to say a lot of these are bad films. Mm-hmm. Um, although you contend the War Horse, yeah, it's a bad is, is a bad film. These aren't; these are just minor films, and you would expect. And, and, and by the way, Carnage, if I had to choose, is this? If, if it came down to pass fail, is sort of a thing I like to say. Carnage would be a fail, for me. and I and I would give it a pass. But you know, compared to say a Chinatown, Rosemary's Baby, even the pianist, and like Oliver yeah. Twist, I'd say it's it's not that. And I, hang on, yeah, you got to get to a big one here. Okay, so I need to get to that. Um, but uh, here's the thing: a year of fine films by reliable filmmakers that can still be a good year. So a lot of it, so. I will bring up the last one now, which is Hugo. People love Hugo. I do not. I don't like Hugo. I think it is a bad film. I think it is visually gorgeous. I think Ben Kingsley does a good job. Sasha Baron Cohen does a good job. I will go into more detail later as to why I don't like it. But people are, you know, fellow critics are dazzled by Hugo for the most part. And uh, and I think it is by uh, very much very much minor Scorsese as far as the story being told and the way it is told visually it's fine and he continues he continues that and there's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with that but he is known for being not merely a good visual storyteller but just a good storyteller in general and I feel like that's where this film fails so I would say minor Scorsese as well then compare that with with films like Captain America, which everyone said was, oh, that was, you know, that was pretty good. But it's still, it's sub-Iron Man, I think. Uh, Thor, which you and I liked more than we expected to, still it's sub-Iron Man, it's sub-Dark Knight. I would put it on the same par as Iron Man, but I don't think I like Iron Man as much as you do. Right. And, but, okay, so, and then, I'm not a huge fan of the last Harry Potter, and that's, by the way, that's not for lack of trying okay <laughs> because i love harry potter i really wanted to like it i saw it in a midnight movie theater filled with fans who did anticipatory anticipatory laughs and uh anticipate anticipatory gasps because they'd read the books they knew it was coming i did not read the books on purpose uh so that i wouldn't and so that i didn't know what was coming so part of me is like you know what maybe my non-enjoyment of the film and i enjoyed it it's, it's fine but um, my not embracing the film, maybe it's a function of the way in which I saw it. And then I watched it again on my own, and uh, it just didn't hold up for me. I, there's a lot of stuff I don't, I don't care for about it. And so I think for me, and this is maybe not for other people, it, this is a year of, of uh, frustrated expectations where films, you know, big films that people expect to be and that I expected to be pretty solid were, you know, fine or, and big filmmakers turned out minor works, but then everything's flip flopped because rise of the planet of the apes, which nobody expected to be good. It is really good. I'm not sure if I'd say it was great, but it's really good. And, uh, and so, but then also we get a string of, of independent filmmakers well, address, who turn out wonderful films. Let, let me address what you're talking about. Okay. Um, and I'm, I'm going to sound like I'm busting your balls a little bit, and I probably oh, am. Oh, good. But, uh, all right. Our, our, our friend, friend of the show, Jimmy Pardo. Yes. Right? He takes a lot of, uh, a lot of guff and, and uh, fully welcomes it for still following the careers and being into 
music that was vital and important in the late 70s and into the 80s, right? And so what I'm was saying Kiss is... Was ever vital and important? <laughs> yeah. But I, they I, were, I think vital. They're vital. There yes. you go. Um, so I think it's kind of, to a certain extent, this... I don't mean this as mean as it says it, but to expect great things from Martin Scorsese and Steven Spielberg and Roman Polanski, you're kind of setting yourself up for disappointment. They're older, which older doesn't mean, I don't mean that older people can't make good art. What I mean is that they've been entrenched longer. Right. And I think the more... They'll do what they want to do. And also the more insulated they are by the sort of... um, celebrity of you know uh film world they live in mm-hmm. makes their art less immediate mm-hmm. um and so i don't want to sound like an ageist or, any, or anything but uh, uh i think younger or at least newer filmmakers can often make uh uh more important and again more Im- immediate stuff and so i think the i, I think you're kind of you kind of set yourself up for disappointment by looking at the slate of upcoming movies and saying, oh, Scorsese has a movie and Spielberg has two movies and Polanski has one and, and, and Woody Allen has one. Uh, this should be a fun year. Whereas a person like me looks at those with a skeptical eye and thinks, I hope those are good, but they probably won't be. Well, first off, I don't think anybody looks at the upcoming Woody Allen film and says, clearly this is going to be you're, amazing. You're. But and By the way, not, uh, real quick, to just sort of combat my own argument about a to, to ward off the accusations mm-hmm. of ageism uh terrence malick made tree of life Exa- which, exactly which and so um but yeah also, and, and that's and, a guy and, who's largely outside the system very yeah and uh and that's the thing we've actually done an episode about this about like whether it's better to burn out or fade away and, and that whole thing and uh-huh. that actors and and directors as they get older and are able they've got the money they've got the respect they can do what they want and sometimes they make i think great decisions sometimes they make bad decisions sometimes the same person can make a great and a bad decision in the same year who knows but um and so i see what you're saying but at the same time spielberg is a mere six years older than he was in 2005 when he made again two movie year munich and I'm not sure if you like War of the Worlds, but I, f- I feel like there's some nice spectacle done in that film. I like the first two-thirds of War of the Worlds. Uh, fair enough. And Munich is my favorite Spielberg film of all time. It's, so, yeah, it's an achievement. I, so maybe comparing it's them only... to Chicago and Journey is a little unfair <laughs> because they are still... They're, they're more likely to put out good work than those bands. Um, but... Uh, I, yeah, I feel like you're taking more umbrage with Jimmy Pardo than you are with me, but that's <laughs> I get what you're saying, yeah. Uh, but I still think... Uh, there there comes a point where I think you have to start to start to sort of like expect maybe not the worst but expect I mean okay look at Scorsese mm-hmm. look at say um, I'm trying to think of an example of a uh, like New York New York which I haven't seen okay have you seen it no okay but <laughs> maybe that's a bad example okay let's go with. Uh, What's another? What's an earlier movie that is considered a failure? A failure? Oh gosh, I that don't I've know. Seen. That you've seen? I, I, you can answer that. I can't. I, 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 maybe Scorsese is not the best example. Let's stick with New York, New York. Okay. Uh, uh, it, that's m- maybe um, not this. Uh, you know what? 
I'm trying to think of a good example because I have a point to make about different types of bad movies. Okay. Um, and, make your point, and, and I'll see if I can fill something in. And okay, let's say New York, New York, which I haven't seen. Let's put. It, let's just hypothesize that it is a bad movie for different reasons. Uh, maybe the way that Heaven's Gate is a bad movie. Okay. Because um, it is. I know there's a, some revisionism after the four-hour-long cut or whatever, and there's some really astounding stuff in Heaven's Gate, okay. but it's overall it's a bad movie. It's an interesting failure. Yeah. Um, but it's not... It's bad... The way that Heaven's Gate is bad, and let's say New York, New York is like this, but I don't know, is uh, maybe too much ambition... Mm-hmm. or something like that it's not bad in the same way that gangs of new york or the departed is bad which is um they're i think more complacent they're the work of a more complacent filmmaker possibly yeah uh more assured of his own talents um but not in a, in a good way like in a way that has allowed him to again become complacent to rest on his laurels so you're saying like the idea they they lose that i that not so much to prove themselves but that might be part of it. Yeah. But if, if only to prove themselves to themselves, not necessarily that they're influenced by cultural opinion or anything yeah. like that, but that they, they lose that, that drive that people yeah. have. Is that what you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, I think that is what I'm talking about. And so uh, this, this topic has turned into a completely different thing than I expected, but it's, yeah. it's of interest to me. Um, uh, I, I think I'm, oh, uh, I'm always looking for new talents. I mean, if you look, a, a number of... Um, the films on my on my list are from uh, directors who have made relatively few features. Oh uh, yeah, I mean in my in my top ten there are uh, there are a couple of debuts, and that's very exciting for me. And and that's the thing is is like I was saying is I would say that this is a a it's a good year, but it's also. I need to reconfigure my thinking a little bit because I went in with certain expectations and not necessarily unreasonable expectations because you and I are in the you and I by the way are in the minority when it comes to the departed most people love it and mm-hmm. say it is great you know what I mean and so uh so like we can't even really bring that up I mean some people and there are people by the way who say that Hugo is just a, a just a landmark film I disagree <laughs> you're giving him a pass that's a, that's dismissive. I'm sorry. Um, you're not giving him a pass. There are people that like the movie for reasons that I will talk about another time. Um, but uh, but that's the thing. Yeah, without naming names, because we don't want to necessarily ruin uh, our top yeah, ten. Yeah, just some of the debuts. Uh, I mean, a- Andrew Hay who made The Weekend. I think that's the first. Not The Weekend. Weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's the first film. And um, Sean Durkin's Martha Marcy May Marlene. That's Wonder- a, yeah. uh, Joe Cornish's Attack the Block, which I like mm-hmm. more than you did. Um, you know, these are first-time directors, and then you know, second-time directors like Jeff Nichols and Rain of July and uh, Bennett Miller. Uh, Bennett Miller, Ty West. You didn't see The Innkeepers yet? Um, no, not yet. Uh, there's, you know, uh, maybe in another. 20, 30 years, they'll be making big budget films that are disappointing us. Right. But, and, and I'll, if I'm, if I haven't died, which I probably will have, um, I'd say that's about right. I'll, uh, I'll be dismissing their films in favor of the film, films made by people who aren't born yet right now. <laughs> that's, yeah. 
I like to think that I, I like that you just assume you're not you're you yourself are going to be the exception of the rule. You are going to be championing these people when they are putting out the most mediocre work, and you are going to hate any new any young new director. No, that's not, I, that's not what I said. Is that how it came out? That's how that's how it came out. To no, me. I, I meant that I'll be dismissing the work of Miranda July in twenty years and oh, okay. throwing my arms open to. Yeah, yeah, that's a good thing. Young weirdo. That's a yeah. good thing for you to that, do. I'm that, saying yeah, you're not going to do that. You don't think I will? I'm saying as I we get old, we all get set in our ways, and you and I are going to be no different, which is why we're both going to, we should be happy. We're both going to die young. So. I think I'm maybe overly willing to, <laughs> like, a director makes a bad movie, like, oh, f- fuck him. He's dead to me now. <laughs> that's an exaggeration. I don't actually yeah, yeah, do yeah. that. Uh, I do give them a fair <laughs> chance, but I, I think I, I am. I've talked about on the show before. I am less nostalgic, so the fact that a director made uh, a film that I loved five, ten years ago doesn't mean that I'm going to be any easier or even any more optimistic about something they have coming up. I tend to be pretty skeptical about and stuff. That's here's the thing: any movie, really, optimism can lead to pessimism. Right. Recognizing that that a Steven Spielberg made. You know, Schindler's List and E.T. and Jaws and uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark and even as recently as Munich, recognizing that he has made those movies gives me I'm optimistic and one could say even nostalgic regarding my expectations. But then he doesn't meet those. Uh-huh. And then I declare this to be not a good year. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right. And so it's it'd be one thing if my if my nostalgia and if their previous work led to me giving them a pass as we were talking about as i was mm-hmm. talking about a moment ago but i don't think i do that um and it's it's my disappointment in filmmakers that uh that have given me reason to be optimistic i think um that leads to me being kind of frustrated about the year but you know, so I I do think that we both have an argument here. One is that you say, "Well, old people are useless," and uh, that's what I said, and yeah. it's something like that. Uh, that's what I heard, anyway. <laughs> um, you know, that's that's, but that as somebody gets older and more set in their ways and get a bit more complacent, that one necessarily shouldn't shouldn't expect the most from them, um, and that. There are arguments to be made against that either because that's saying lower your expectations and then, hey, someone might meet them. <laughs> and then you th- – like one could say – I'm not one of these people, by the way. But someone could say that that's almost giving them a pass in a different way, yeah. the pass of lowered expectations. Yeah. And so that. like it could go one way or the other. But because we need to get onto the topic, I will I will sum up by saying that I, I don't think this is a bad year. I did think it was a bad year. Um, it wasn't last year was, uh, for the most part, with a couple of exceptions. Uh, look, at, I mean, we're going to talk about studio stuff. I don't have anything that would be considered a major studio release in my top ten. I, have I don't think I like, do either. I don't know what you call I guess Moneyball's like, a studio film. Yeah, it is. Um, but, I only mention that because I mentioned it before. Um, I have things like Fox Searchlight, a couple of Fox Searchlight, and like right. Sony Pictures Classics type thing. Right. That's as close as I get. Whereas last year, I had Toy Story 3, Scott Pilgrim versus the World, and The Social Network yeah. all in my top 10. Um, and I still I stand by those. Those are all oh, yeah. great films. But I think if they came out this year, if Scott Pilgrim, which I championed like crazy, came out this year. They know. The listeners know. And yeah. I did too. I I liked it too. Um, and we're not exactly alone. Most of the internet championed yeah. it, uh, which goes to show the influential power of the internet. Um, it has none. Uh, right. 
if Scott Pilgrim came out this year, there's a chance it might not make my top ten. Even I could see that. My number eleven film from this year. We talked about last year being a bad movie. Look back. Let's look back to 2008. My number 11 film from this year would be my number one of 2008. And 2008 had some very strong films with with Richard getting married and with Milk. Um, some people like The Dark Knight. No, I like The Dark Knight. <laughs> how do you how do you go back from that? You liked The Dark Knight. <laughs> I, at the time. I think there's a part of me that just wants to stir uh, it up a little yeah, bit. But no, I I, I immediately like stop myself. Yes, I yeah, like yeah. The Dark Knight. Okay. Um, uh, so. Again, I guess what, what I'm getting at is I think this is a, a rather good year, actually. No. Probably, the I'm going to say, the best year since 2007, which is a huge year, um, with There Will Be Blood and, and No Country for Old Men, as well as Four Months, Three Weeks, and Two Days. Two of those made my top ten of the decade, and those both came out in 2007. Um, hmm. What else? Control was 2007. Eastern Promises. By the way... Speaking of Gone, ba- Gone Baby Gone, Michael Gone Clayton, Gone. Ratatouille. Zodiac, another one of the best. Before the Devil Knows You're Dead. Did I right, say that right. already? No, I said oh, Gone okay. Baby Gone. Uh, um, Persepolis, Shooter, which I still love. Uh, yeah, The King of Kong. 2007 was a really fantastic 2007 year. is maybe one of the best years of all time. We, I, I still want to do that series that I've been telling you about where we just pick like really amazing movie years and... Uh, not come up with any sort of theories about why about how that was possible, but just say like here's some of the movies that came out this year and how they perhaps influenced film and stuff like that. But uh, so far, all I've done is talk about how much I think 1999 is the best movie year ever. But like 2007, I'm not sure if I'd say it gives it a run for its money, but I mean it is up there. Like yeah, it's a I'm really wonderful year. Certain there, I mean, you and I were about 17 in 1999, and I'm sure there are people who were born in 1990, who uh, cherished 2007 as much as we do 1999 because right. of the age they were. And, like, I mean, the, I was 19, in 1999, I was just getting my driver's license and, like, going to movies by my own. I was seeing two movies a week because I suddenly had the freedom to do so. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the fact that it that, that year, 1999, fell on that year in my life is... Uh, it was a huge milestone for me. And you know what's interesting is that when I say how much I like 1999, okay, here we go. Bring everything back around. Okay. Not to the topic, of course. We'll never get to that. But um, the <laughs> I think reason I'm done on this. I think I almost am as well, okay. once I make this point. The reason that I like 1999, you've got Eyes Wide Shut, you've got Bringing Out the Dead, you've got Sweet and Low Down. You also have being John Malkovich, American Beauty. Um, uh, I guess uh, Six Sense, Three Kings, Three Kings, Talented well, Mr. Ripley. But the well, it, and like Talented Mr. Ripley goes, and and uh, the Insider they go with stuff like Sweet and Low Down, and and that sort of thing. That was a year where the directors that you know to be good turned out great work. And new directors were born. That's the difference between that year and this year, is that this year, directors you know to be good turned out fine work. And and new directors that you've never heard of before are turning out the best film, the best films of the year. I, I, I exclude Malik from that, of yeah, course. I think Malik. he's amazing. But and like, I know uh, I liked A Dangerous Method, I think, more than average, and probably more than you did. Right. Well, I haven't seen it yet. Oh, okay. Um... And then we also had um, 
Lars von Trier's Melancholia, which is very good. Mm-hmm. Um, Pedro Almodovar's The Skin I Live In. So there were some big directors put it. Like, I mean, you got you've got The Descendants, which is you know which the latest. I didn't love. Right, like I feel like that's a. I, I like it a lot, uh-huh. but I still think it's a minor film from him. Um. So yeah, it's. I think maybe that's. I think that's kind of what I. When I think of a great year, I think of new and old talent both turning out great work. And in this case, and. I shouldn't think of it that way. I should only think in terms of the great work. But for some reason, I, that's that's how I think, and and I I shouldn't. I need to try not to. But uh, but yeah, I think that's a good example of why I think ninety nine is great. Is because if you're a fan of say Martin Scorsese or Michael Mann or or you know Woody Allen, that's a year for you. I think where and regardless of when you were born. Yeah, I don't know. Bringing Out the Dead, I think, is not. It's not a major film, certainly. I don't think it's an entirely successful film, but it is, even though it is, I guess, later period Scorsese, I think even where it fails, it fails in a way that I like, because it's cause it feels like, kind of fucking nuts. It feels like he's taking risks in it. Yeah. It still feels like, like younger Scorsese yeah. in that sense. But it also, in some ways, it feels like a movie where he crammed all the like little weird ideas he had for other movies into one that just got them all out of his system. Well, like, as what if the will, snow went backwards? As he will frequently do, like the, a lot of his, there is a subgenre of Scorsese film where he documents a loner, and you got like Taxi Driver, you've got King of Comedy, you've you even have Last Temptation of Christ, and you have Bringing Out the Dead, and so uh, and those. It's how the how that loner experiences the world usually allows him to go to kind of some sub- yeah. surreal places. Uh, one thing I want to say, just because I was curious when I talked about how many studio movies last year, um, the highest ranking movie this year so far that I have, or 2011 actually so far that I have, uh, that would be considered a major studio release is Young Adult, and that's my number 20. Hmm. And I guess that is a studio release. Yeah, it's a Paramount. Yeah, yeah. Release. So. And then after that, um, I liked Immortals a lot. I haven't talked about it much on the on the show. Um, and I, I don't may know, try. I don't and know see if it. Relativity counts as a major studio. I think it. I think it does. I, uh, um, hmm. I don't know. And then and then Super Eight. I also liked a lot more than than a lot of other people. Did. Yeah, yeah. All right. I'm probably going to go to the tomorrow. I think I'm going to go to the three dollar theater and see Immortals. Yes, there are other amazing films I haven't seen this year, but I'm going to see Immortals because I'm an I, idiot. You won't regret it. It's a lot of fun. Okay. I'm glad to hear it. Yeah. It's it's also, it is so gory that it's just ridiculous. It's part of the fun. Okay, How fair incredibly enough. gory it is. But not really realistic looking is the thing. So that right. that is what makes it okay to just be like... Like a Kill Bill gory. Yeah, maybe even less realistic than that. <laughs> like oh. closer to a cartoon. <laughs> Um, well, there's that scene where uh, the the hero tricks that guy into running off the cliff, but he doesn't realize it until he looks down. Like that, like yeah, that's what yeah, you're yeah, talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, no, Immortals is is a lot of fun. I had a blast watching it. Hmm. All right. Now then, at 31 minutes in, that was a good conversation, though. Yeah, I think right? that was. I, I think people will like that. I hope. Uh, <laughs> I think. I think people will like that. I hope. <laughs> I hope. I think people will like that. I think I hope that people will like it. I guess. Uh, let's get into it, shall we? We are going to talk about movies about marriage. We yes. kind of had to, like you said, we had a guest cancel on us, so we kind of had to scramble for a topic. But I yeah. think um, I've got some things to say on this topic. Um, <laughs> oh, jeez. Well, the, what I want to start with, even though this is your idea, I kind of would like to get the ball rolling here. 
um, because I <laughs> I uh, I thought outside the box, and now I want to get the ball rolling. Um, I, I was making my list, and I was realizing, and we've talked about this in uh, I think before on the show, just with relationships in general. There are more movies about relationships that don't work than about than movies about ones that do. Oh yeah, maybe because that's more dramatically um, satisfying. And I started to think it's more dynamic. I think yeah. yeah. But I started to think, and something again, something you and I talked about off mic about um, uh, the um, the Taylors on Friday Night Lights, yep. the Sopranos on the Sopranos, um, the Connors, uh, the Connors, uh, Mister uh, President and First Lady Bartlett, mm-hmm. about how many great long term strong marriages there were on TV, mm-hmm. and I just it start, it just occurred to me that with that longer format. You can that that's what a marriage is. So you can you can explore the peaks and valleys more. You can see them. You know there there are stretches of episodes where um, uh, Abigail is very upset with Jed Bartlett on the yeah. West Wing. You know, and you get to live in that and express and see how it strengthens their relationship as there, opposed to in a movie because of the, of the truncated time thing. You kind of have to like if there's a conflict it has to be one that is literally threatening the relationship there are entire episodes of roseanne when we say the connors we're referring to roseanne by the way um there are entire episodes that are a fight between the characters and if it were a movie it's this means they're going to get divorced right but in the show it's they're going to work through this and keep going as so many people in life do um and yes that's exactly what i was thinking is uh because because uh, in an email when I when I suggested this, you said we need to be sure not to t- just immediately jump to the Sopranos yeah. or whatever, and and I said absolutely, but there, it is worth noting that film and television they're different in a, in a lot of ways, uh, but one of them is some stories just work better on TV. Mm-hmm. In film, you can show the beginning of a relationship. And the end of a relationship. You can show some in the middle, but it needs to be somewhat tumultuous or they need to be focusing on something else. Right. And, and I have not seen another year, which from what I hear, the very nature of, the, of what it's, you know, even the title uh-huh. refers to a different kind of thing. But that's Mike Lee and he tends to think outside the box, as you were mentioning. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah. And so. And by, by the way, I know I, I seen the the praises of the sopranos all the time it is the greatest television show that has ever been and um there's an argument to be made because the sopranos is about a lot of things but you could convincingly make an argument that it is about marriage first and foremost it it, it's sort of the backbone of all six and really seven seasons but and uh, you know i think okay I don't want to spoil anything with Breaking Bad, so I will speak in the vaguest possible mm-hmm. ways. Um, I think the way that The Sopranos deals with Tony and Carmela's relationship and what they choose to have them do, as opposed to what they choose to have uh, Walter and Skyler do in Breaking Bad, I think... I've never. I'm not a huge fan of Breaking Bad. It has won me over, as mm-hmm. I've mentioned, but that relationship has always been to me the most frustrating thing. That relationship is what caused my wife to stop watching because it was so frustrating. 
but it was to me somewhat artistically frustrating and a little too a little too easy the way they dealt with it as time has gone on mm-hmm. they've found the complexity but it became it was just too too simple and too frankly movie like um as opposed to I don't think they quite realized the potential of having an ongoing medium. Whereas Sopranos, they seem to know it from the jump and seem to know how much they could explore this relationship within it. And I think seeing that potential immediately is what separates the Sopranos from other TV shows. And one of the reasons why I had to warm up to Breaking Bad because it's like they, they found their sea legs eventually, but it was like two seasons in and only now am I really enjoying it. So okay, we got the TV discussion, which we hate, we knew we were going to have to have. Yes, uh, out of the way. So let's talk about marriages uh, in movies. And um, <clears throat> I'll tell you, I think the first one when you said it that le- left in my mind is probably the same as the first one that left in your mind, which is in the bedroom. Oddly enough, that was like the seventh. Oh, that popped into my mind. Okay, um, and I mean. That is, uh, uh, that's not really about the end of a marriage. It's about the end of a phase of a marriage, to yeah. be sure. Yeah. And not just as far as what's going on in their outer circumstances, but you know that their relationship and where and what's going on inside them after the film is over, it's never going to be what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really is... And it's probably not going to be happy, by the way. Yeah. Would you say that's a fair assessment? Uh, I'd, I'd say I'd have to watch it again, um, but you're probably right. I don't know. I could see them. Time heals all wounds. Uh, There's some pretty big wounds yeah, there. Yeah. Um, well, let's... Um, okay, well, let's, let's table in the bedroom for now okay. and talk about another film that actually would be... You just mentioned a little bit ago, which is Eyes Wide Shut. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think they're okay? I think they will be, yeah. Yeah, I think they will also... I, I also think they'll be okay. And um, uh, I, I think something that doesn't get um, maybe talked about enough in movies or, or TV, uh, but more so in TV, is... Um, the idea of fidelity mm-hmm. and uh, whether or not a marriage can survive it. I think too often there is um, this idea that if someone cheats and is caught, then the marriage is over. That right. that's that's kind of the standard formula. Um, and um. I mean, Eyes Wide Shut isn't even actually a movie about anyone who's cheated. Yeah. Uh, it's about the jealousy mm-hmm. um, involved in assuming someone else has cheated. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, for a movie that's actually about cheating, you should see, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Alan Rudolph's The Secret Lives of Dentists. Mm, yes. I don't know if you know what that movie's about. I saw it. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah. Uh, for, the, for those at home, the movie's about Campbell Scott finds out that his wife is having an affair on on him uh, having uh, is cheating on him and then chooses not to confront her about it because he's too scared of upending his life yeah but of course keeping that to himself 
ends up finding its own way of upending his life. And then it goes places from there that is totally worth seeing. I think that's a movie that came and went a little too quietly because uh, I think it is actually a really uh, a really good film. But I'm a big Alan Rudolph There's fan. some Rudolph touches that I feel like they don't ruin the film for me, but it's just like, oh, you, if you had kept it to these characters <laughs> and not introduce this other Rudolphian thing. Yeah, if you're not an Alan Rudolph fan, yeah. then it's not for you and neither of his, is any of his work. <laughs> right, um, yeah. But uh, I, Almost I, I any director, him. it's like, you. Sh- it, okay, I know you're not a fan. See this one movie, you might like it. He's one of those rare exceptions. If you don't like any, you won't like any. <laughs> um, Although, you know what? I think um, Mrs. Parker and the Vicious Circle is... Um, which I though, didn't see. Though it's large in scope, it doesn't have the like um, Gonzo or the Rudolphian tomfoolery. Uh, Gonzo is a perfect way to describe him. There's nothing yeah. inherently wrong with that. It's a, it's choices he's making, and people can respond to it. But uh, not for me. Yeah, just not for me. And he he made a movie. We're off topic here. I'll get back to Eyes Wide Shut and some yeah. other stuff here. Um, he made a movie of Breakfast of Champions, which you and I watched together, didn't we? Uh, and you yes. didn't like it? And that's fine. I'm fine with you not liking it. But what I'm not fine with is Kurt Vonnegut fans not liking it because it somehow uh, messed with the book. I think those people maybe. I think once someone gets established long enough, mm-hmm. they are held up as being. Uh, a sort of staid, prestigious figure. Yeah. I think in terms of just philosophy and sensibility, Alan Rudolph's take on Breakfast of Champions is very close to what Kurt Vonnegut does in his books. And, and so I- it, it always upsets me when people are like big fans of Kurt Vonnegut and then dismiss Breakfast of Champions as if they messed it up. I haven't yeah. read any, I don't think I've read any of his books. Which is uh, uh, sad for me. Yeah, he's but, he's a good writer. I, is he? Yeah. Huh. <laughs> anyway, so um, that was a little skit we just did. So, uh, but um, so I'm trying to think of of, of other depictions of, of infidelity. Uh, of course, there's unfaithful. There's brief. Unfaithful th- is definitely one of those. There's brief encounter. Kind of. Kind of. It's more. It's it's more about the the infidelity aspect and not about them coming back together or them dealing with it. But what, but that's part of it. What interests me personally, just in this story is not the story of the person who cheated, Mm -hmm. but the story of the person who has to forgive them. That's, that is such a, um, you know, I, I don't want to, I've never been cheated on, found out about it and then had the relationship keep going. Right. Um, I've been cheated on. It ended the relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and for all I know, I've been cheated on more than that, and I just don't know about it. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm... I'm a, I'm at a point in my life where I'm kind of afraid of that impulse in myself, that I would want to end a relationship for infidelity. Hmm. Uh, even though I know that it would be almost impossible for me to get over. And that's why I'm so interested in these stories of people moving past their, their jealousy because intellectually I understand it for being as, uh, relatively petty as it is. Um, which is not entirely, not entirely petty, petty because it's a betrayal of trust. Oh yeah. But why it is the 
paragon of betrayals of trust trust is for reasons that aren't that shouldn't be as important to me or to most people as as they are i think in what sense that uh it's essentially it's like i said a betrayal of trust it's a it's a lie uh, of some sort mm-hmm. um and lies that don't also involve you know carnal knowledge seem to be more forgivable oh yeah yeah and and i don't i don't just mean the way they're portrayed in movies i think in real life i you know uh be more willing to forgive someone that i loved for lying to me about something else than for an affair and i don't know if that's well, I know that's the right thing. It's also like it's a lie. It's it's the broken promise element, and that's the thing is like we deal with any number of, of broken promises. But like when it comes to that, I think I think because there's a vulnerability involved, and that you know my wife or my husband in this in this capacity, um, they have promised to be vulnerable only to me for the rest of our lives. And they broke that promise, and that in itself hurts. They probably lied about it. That also hurts. So they've betrayed my trust, broken this promise. But what's more is now that level of vulnerability has been opened to someone else, and now I have, and now I'm expected to be vulnerable again because that's ultimately what trust, yeah. forgiveness, and trust means. And like, yeah, and I think you you'll have to earn it back. Right. But I don't know that it's worth. Ending, ending the relationship the for. But it is amazing how many people in movies and in culture in general, it's like, you cheat, it's done. Yeah. Like, it's really strange. And, and I think it has to do with the ego of the person who's been cheated on. Because, mm-hmm. um, uh, say, say you're married to someone who is, I don't know, uh, diabetic and makes okay. a promise to you that they will do all in their power to keep themselves healthy, to eat with the things they're supposed to eat, right. you know, and you find out that behind your back they've been eating, you know, pies every every night or something like that, mm-hmm. you know. To me, I mean, intellectually, that's a betrayal of trust that sh- should be uh, more upsetting because it's about their actual physical well-being. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet that seems easier to forgive than than cheating. Well, it also, I think I think the idea of cheating, and by the way, I don't think it's unforgivable. It is interesting, by the way, that uh, my wife and I, uh, before we got married, we had this discussion of if you were to cheat on me, if I if I cheated on you, would you would you leave me? Mm-hmm. And before going in, our both of our answers were yes. As we've been married, mm-hmm. and I don't want to turn this into a you know one of the many sermons I've listened to about marriage, but <laughs> marriage really reveals to you that like wow, I really am not perfect. <laughs> like I make <laughs> frequent mistakes, and the other person is also not perfect. And I don't mean to say that uh, that you know a, that a person is is driven into the arms of another person. That happen. I think that can happen sometimes, but I don't think it's it's always that. But it does help you realize like. Wow, there is real. I don't think there's anything that is 
that that I have done. Like if I started beating Jen, then yes, that is one hundred percent my fault. <laughs> but uh, but like if it comes to something like that, it's like I do think I don't think it's a zero sum thing. I think I think everybody shares some blame, and certainly the person who chose to do the cheating, they share more of the blame. But who knows what kind of environment that you've you've caused them to live in? So having been married, both of us now say like. I think I think we could I think we could get past it, uh-huh. and it's and that is something that really struck me as interesting. But I do think that one of the reasons that that sort of the idea of of leaving or sneaking away from this person to be with somebody else it communicates this thing that there's a need that you can't meet, and so the person it I mean it speaks to their ego, but it does also speak to like just their identity of like, I thought I was enough. I'm trying to be enough, but I'm not going to be enough in this capacity. And what can I do now? And it really, it shakes the relationship. I think it shakes the person's like, it shakes them to their own core as well. And so I think that's, there's a lot of reasons of course, why it's, why it's so upsetting, but yeah. I think that's, that's a big, but a I big think part it is of it. about, we'll get back to movies in just a second. Cause I'm almost there. But I don't think it is necessarily about <laughs> it. Both is and isn't about a need that isn't being filled. Because when you say it like that, it implies a lacking in the person who's not filling the need. Mm-hmm. But what it really is is, um, I mean, I don't want to get all Dan Savage on you, but the, you know, biology. I think you know, if you go far enough back, we're not. Uh, I, I don't believe that, uh, and and I think research has shown that humans weren't naturally monogamous in their early stages. It's mm-hmm. A development of civilization now where i differ from dan savage is i don't think that's a bad thing i think there are lots of developments that civilization has made such as not beating the beating each other's brains out with rocks for a little bit of food or whatever and podcasting uh, yeah, yeah um that uh, i think there are things that are natural impulses in us that we've suppressed in the uh in service of becoming more civilized and keeping the civilization together mm-hmm. um so i think not that i think but again that but saying it like that makes me sound like i think monogamy is the only way i don't think that's true either but i think um uh, i think a, a relationship as a unit um uh, uh, most often two people but even be it polyamorous that sort of trust and not just you know going around mating with everyone mm-hmm uh, I think that that helped and continues to help civilization grow. And now we're at a, I think, and have for some point, some time, been at a point where we can explore things like non-monogamy uh, in a in a civilized way, as opposed to in our biological way. So I just wanted to say that because uh, I don't have a lot of other forms to talk about in those beliefs. And it's and I listen to Dan Savage and I get pissed off at him sometimes. Do you really? Yeah, that's interesting. Because I mean, because like I said, I am all for uh, uh, an open agreement of non-monogamy. Uh, mm-hmm. All for it. I'm all for polyamory if that's uh, you know if that's where you feel comfortable and where you feel loved. Um, uh, I myself choose monogamy, and so does my girlfriend. And we did not just assume that Mm. early in our relationship we had that discussion you know i'm into monogamy i am too 
good. Let's agree on that. I like that you say I'm into monogamy as if yeah. it's some kind of kinky thing. <laughs> That's my kink. I'm into it. Um, and sometimes I, sometimes Dan Savage can come across as um, anti-monogamy, and that's what hmm. uh, that's what pisses me off. Even though, even though he says he he's not, it come, it drips into his voice sometimes, and it it pisses me off. Drips in there. Yeah, it's pretty rough. Can um, we talk about movies? Yeah, sure. Well, and that's <laughs> well, but all I, of this I have a way in. All of this. Here's okay. Uh, this is not really a, a tangent, but when we talk about this. I mean, the idea of marriage, I mean, there's a, you know, there's the debate about what, what defines marriage right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a debate has been going on for several years, several, several years now. Is it between man and woman? Is it between two adults? Why only two? You know, yeah. like it, it can go like that. And so that's going to seep into film. I mean, film reflects culture. And if you don't have, if you're not aware of your own views and what culture's view is and what your friend's views are, how on earth are you going to have, I mean, I guess you can technically have like a discussion about films that are about this sort of thing, or at least touch on them. Yeah. But like, you know, I, I don't know. It's so a conversation like this, I'm sure there are some people who are rolling their eyes and saying like, Oh, just get back to movies. Like we are at movies because yeah. the movies are about this. Yeah. So let, let's let's do it. Let's go back to the movie. Absolutely, because I want to. Um, I just don't want. I don't want to apologize for yeah. stuff that's like this. It all. Yeah, it's all, it's a rich tapestry, David. And this is what you know. Uh, okay, another quick tangent. This is what movies do to us. Mm-hmm. If if talking about movies is just talking about movies, then they might as well be a commodity. Then you're mm-hmm. just talking about which you know brand of fucking spatula you like more. You know. Uh, I mean, Calphalon, obviously. <laughs> Actually, I don't know if Calphalon makes a spatula. Uh, I don't know what Calphalon is. I just um, bought two new pants. So Sorry. the fact that movies make us have this kind of discussion is why we love movies to begin with. So, okay. Damn let's talk I. about Unfaithful. Okay. Because you brought it up, and it's on my list as well. Um, and it goes back to something I was talking about at the beginning of our tangent. Um, uh, the, the, uh, the sort of almost accepted notion that cheating is the worst thing. Mm-hmm. Like it, you know, that's that's it. That's the worst thing. Um, and of course, we've seen uh, lots of discussions about uh, the MPAA and that sex is somehow worse than violence. You can get away with some pretty uh, right. brutal stuff. I mean, we talked about War Horse. Uh, you haven't seen it yet. No. Um, there's no blood in it, but there's war scenes that are disturbing, and it's PG-13. Whereas yeah. if uh, you know, Jeremy Irvine were to disrobe, it would be R-rated. Mm-hmm. Maybe even NC-17 because the MPAA really doesn't like penises. Um, They're horrible. Yeah. Just disgusting. Uh, and so, and I guess I'm going to, this is a this is a spoiler for Unfaithful, but the movie's 10 years old at this point. Yeah. Um, wow. <laughs> uh, Diane Lane gets, you know, he Richard, Richard Gere finds out about Diane Lane's uh, cheating. It's a big deal. Mm-hmm. But then, the thing that Richard Gere does is the bigger deal. The movie doesn't end with them reconciling. The movie ends with them going to the police station. You, you know, uh, it. The, uh, I think that movie is amazing. Do they go to the police station? I think it's left ambiguous. I, I was gonna. I was gonna address that because oh, I think they do. Okay. Um, uh, but but just the fact that it's where it ends. It, that it ends on this issue. Not. It doesn't end with the cheating being resolved mm-hmm. or them breaking up or anything like that. It ends with the fact that he he overreacted. As bad as cheating is, and as much as the movie makes you feel 
uh, how hurtful it can be. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the sort of point at the end is that for all the as dishonest as she was for all the wrong things that Diane Lane did in the in the film, he's the one that's going to have to face. Oh yeah, face I mean, up to some stuff because he overreacted. Yeah, I mean, there's all there's consequences for everything, and and yes, I mean, we could have a, a another discussion about uh, what is because I think I think the MPAA does mostly reflect the values of the culture, and as much as you and I might rail about it, you and I also talk about vi- you know immoral con- the the immoral context of violent scenes uh-huh. I hate to say it that's not a conversation that a lot of people are talking about where and and that's because that we're we're film people and you know we're supposed to say that sort of we're supposed to talk about that kind of thing but I think in culture like you're not supposed to tell you're not supposed to say a certain kind of language you're not supposed to yeah. tell certain kind of jokes and you're certainly not supposed to do you know talk about or see this sort of uh, you know these naked bodies or whatever Whereas something like violence, well, violence can sometimes be in uh, the service of your country, you know, and stuff right. like there, you can spin that. And even though it's like, well, you can spin sex into, well, a lot of positive things, <laughs> you know, and so. But, but and I think, I mean, Spielberg Warhurst, as much as I didn't like it, might have been a bad example because it's not cavalier about the people dying. It, I was just, right, I've I, never, was just, I was just sort of uh, blushing at the idea that it gets a PG-13 Right, uh, you know, for d- despite his violence, but there are movies like like The Dark Knight that mm-hmm. we talked about that is as as good as the movie is can be uh, cavalier about its violence. Might be a bad example because I think actually that my my qualm there might also be with the PG thirteen rating because right. I think the Joker is cavalier about his violence. I don't know that the film is. I think uh, the Joker is yes. Yeah. So let's talk about. Although uh, I think I, you are supposed to laugh. Okay. That's neither uh, here nor there. But just any uh, dumb thriller movie, I don't know, yeah. Contraband that I just saw. Okay, yeah. You know? Um, it just seems like virginity is more precious than life, in, in a way, mm-hmm. uh, to boil it down. you, The death of people on screen is... Uh, their their lives are worthless most of the time. Mm-hmm. It, it's just a, a cutaway. It's not it's not felt, whereas the tiptoeing around, around sex... Yeah. We're getting way off topic here. I it's just fine, but um, and to go back to unfaithful, I, I think you're right. The idea we we so often see, as I mentioned, brief encounter, which I, is a movie I love, by the way. Um, we we so often see the infidelity from the point of view of the the cheater, mm-hmm. the and adulterer, the adulterer. I'm sorry. Um, I, I I actually had a little hitch before I said cheater. It's like I, I don't know if I like saying that. It sounds. <laughs> I mean, technically, I guess that's what they're doing. They're cheating. Yeah. But it sounds I, adulterers. I'm just a windbag, and I say why use two syllables when you can use four. <laughs> there you go. All right. I thought you were just getting biblical about it. Anyway. Uh, so, and I understand why it would show from that point of view because you know it's it. I don't think it's something that somebody does lightly, and so. Uh, so how did they arrive there? But what I do like about the structure of Unfaithful is that it really is like a two-act film. The first act is Diane Lane's, and the second act is Richard Gere's, and how he deals with this, and, it's, and certainly does overreact, but there's still a solid 15 to 20 minutes after he has reacted and talks to her. 
Uh-huh. And there's a and there's such a man. It's such a wonderfully emotionally complex film. Because amazing you, that that guy has made some of the movies he's made. Well, he did what he did. Fatal Attraction, right? Yeah, which is not good. I didn't. He see did it. Nine and a Half Weeks, which is not oh, good. Wow. But he also did Jacob's Ladder. I, have, I also haven't seen. That. Oh, I guess which, I've seen Unfaithful, and that's yeah, it. Well, just see Jacob's Letter. It's awesome. Everyone says I need to see it, and I I, I do want to. But um, but yeah, uh, and so there is that last twenty minutes when they have the. It's such an odd thing. They have the. Res- we are allowed to see her response when he says that he knows what happened, and she feels bad. But then he says he has to say what he has done. And then he has, and then she has, she responds to that. And so there's this mutual thing of, it's not mutual, of course, as far as the act. I mean, one is definitely a crime, (laughs) Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it just, it allows both of them to have these moments because even though he did this horrible thing, he's, it came out of a sense of betrayal and now she knows that he felt that sense of betrayal and she feels bad, but now she feels bad because her husband's a murderer. <laughs> and so um, I shouldn't be laughing about it, but it's just, it's uh, my, my laughter comes just from how exciting it is that a film was willing to, to explore all of that. But, um, but, and you see in the performances that they're reassessing everything they thought they knew about their mate and about their relationship and trying to figure out, well, what do we do from here? You know, not merely do we do the right thing, and that's one of the reasons that I that I don't actually like the uh, the murder plot point is because part of me is like that adds another that adds a layer that almost allows the it somewhat allows the filmmakers to not deal with hmm, the the possible reconciliation or not, but um, but something like uh, like Eyes Wide Shut, I think it is clear that these two are going to be okay and that. This is this actually is the kind of thing that I think married couples deal with is this realization of <laughs> I don't want to reveal too much about myself, but <laughs> you already know how insecure I can be. So let's do this. Um, like every time like my wife happens to mention that like so and so like Matt Damon is like really attractive or something. <laughs> I mean, immediately- really her guy, Matt Damon. Yeah, she likes Matt Damon. Why? What's wrong with Matt Damon? I mean, he's a good actor. He is a good actor. He's a you know good-looking guy, fit. He, he's fit. Yeah. Yeah. What's wrong with Matt Damon? I just, I just of all the like, I know guys out there. She was never a DiCaprio guy. I don't know what to t- look. Let's not get into this. Uh, but she, but she, re- she always said that he's very attractive. She didn't put it like I would like to kiss that guy. Like she doesn't say anything like that because <laughs> that would be. You know what? That's. I'm going to say it's out of left field <laughs> if she says, hey, Tyler, guess who I want to kiss? So, um, but she, she just says that as people do. But my first thought is, wait, what? You And it's not, and it winds up being not like, hey, you're all mine. It's more like, how is it possible that you find him attractive and me attractive? <laughs> We're, we couldn't look less different. I mean, I guess we could be different races, strictly speaking. More different. More different. I'm sorry. Oh yeah. Oh uh, yeah. I mean, this diet's not going that well. And so. Um, oh, I didn't ask you about the diet. Yeah. Um, it's fine. Um, it's mine's, mine's going great. I feel great. Uh, I feel better than I felt in a long time. I'm kind of ready for it to be over. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, and so I do have that thought 
just this weird, like, well, wait a minute. He looks like him. I look like me. You say we're both attractive. You've got to be lying. Like, you're lying to be nice to me, and I appreciate that. But come on. If you... Why would you accept me if you... You know what? Like, it, this weird... It's an insecurity thing. It's a... In this case, I guess, not necessarily a possessive kind of thing. And I don't mean to say that I'm calling my wife a liar. But just in, in one of those just weird moments. And so, a film like Eyes Wide Shut, as strange... And absurd as it is, I think that absurdity plays into the kind of weird fantasies that people can have in their heads when they when they are suddenly mm-hmm. when they're paranoid, when they're insecure, when right. they're yeah. jealous, and they start to think, "Am I not enough? Am I, you know, whatever?" And so, I think uh, I think that film is maybe one of the best movies about marriage I've ever seen. Um, you know what I think might be. Uh, in film, the best, uh, uh, off the top of my head, the best portrait of a marriage that works, and it's only a brief segment of the film, and it's up. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, because I think there are sort of, um, there are things you hear, I guess, about, about marriage, even about any long-term relationship, um, that it's a compromise, and mm-hmm. it's said so often that it can seem trite no um but what the first 10 minutes of up does what it illustrates about what they have compromised for each other Mm -hmm. and how that's a positive i think that's the big thing is often when you hear marriage is a compromise the idea is listen you're just gonna have to take this with a grain of salt or you're gonna have to bite the bullet and get through this but up manages to in those 10 minutes before becoming a a, a film that I have some major problems with. Um, what what it does is it illustrates these compromises as being uh, ultimately for the better. For the, you're going to enjoy your marriage more for having compromise, right? Because you're both going to be happier, and two happinesses is better than one. It's it does go it does sort of fly in the face of what people uh, what a lot of people say in regards to the idea of compromise and certainly in the uh, in the critic world when you hear that someone compromised you're like oh that means it's less that means it's not as good but um, but yeah in in marriage and you're absolutely right like they make these things but it's put to this music and you see that they're legitimately happier as a result of this and so it's like imagine imagine a marriage where neither party compromised ever how i'm sure it's possible i'm sure somewhere out there someone has managed to be both parties are completely happy uh (laughs) while both completely in it for themselves (laughs) i i can't imagine it and i've never seen it but but yeah it's i i think that and i up isn't even on my list another pixar film is though which is the incredibles Oh, okay. I think that's it's that's just a nice film about family in general. Mm-hmm. But their marriage is very is very interesting because first off, you get to see in an animated film adults fighting mm-hmm. about each other, about the way they are going to approach a, a certain problem. It's not just the standard fight of like, oh, you're supposed to turn this way or that way. But they do have a nice little a nice little. Uh, gesture to that kind of stereotypical sitcom-y husband and wife fight Uh um but they also have fights about about him putting too much on his kids and and that sort of thing and it's just a 
I find that to be a very mature... That film is mature in a lot of ways, but I feel like its depiction of a family is incredibly mature and and uncompromising, David. Um, But I do want to... uh, You know, because... So far we've been talking about marriages that work. You know, or that are probably going to work in some in some capacity. Yeah. I, I would also throw in uh it's not a major plot point, but it's maybe the heart of the film, which is Fargo. Um, which is the the relationship between Margie and Norm mm-hmm. is so I remember okay, I'm sorry to tell so many stories from my own life, but I remember when I was younger, when I first saw Fargo, I saw their life as vaguely depressing. Um mm-hmm. Like when they, when they were laying in bed and he's asleep, and she's up watching a documentary about bugs, about uh-huh. ants or something, and just, and then she's like, "I think I'm going to bed, Norm." And he like wakes up a little bit and goes, "Oh yeah," and it's just like that looks horrible. That looks so awful to me. But then as I've gotten as I've gotten older, uh-huh. but just even before I got married, as I got older, and then as I got married, <coughs> I saw. Just little things like that, that's neither good nor bad. That's the reality. But also him waking up to make her eggs uh-huh. and her coming in saying Prowler needs a jump like her husband's going to go and help her do that. And in exchange, when he doesn't when he doesn't uh, get put on the stamp that he would like to be put on, she encourages him. And just it's such a positive thing in, uh-huh. in both of their lives. And just because it may look incredibly banal at times like actually that's something that they seem to sort of embrace like in those moments when they're not doing something that everyone says oh this is what romance looks like they're just comfortable being themselves and being with each other and that is something that i i mean i've talked before either on this show or on i think maybe on Goebel's show when i talk about survivor i'm seldom more happy than happier than when i am watching survivor with my wife and talking about it during uh-huh. the commercials because yeah. it's like something we do together. And at that moment, I'm not out to prove anything to anybody yeah. um, except to prove that I'm right about Survivor and she's not uh, <laughs> yeah. about this person or that person, That's, though we're usually in agreement. The only reason I am still watching Project Runway when it's on is because I watch it with Natalie. There you go. It's it's not a good show anymore. Um, so, uh, But you these are going to talk about marriages that don't work. Absolutely. And uh, oh, shoot. <laughs> you know what? I'll we'll talk about marriages that don't work, and then I'll get back to the ones that do in a very dynamic way. Uh, I will not be get, getting back to it in a, in a dynamic way. It'll be the same as it always is. But films that really emphasize the things that I like uh, about marriage and about what films can do. Um, but the reason that I actually had this idea uh, to discuss this was I just saw Carnage, and certainly those marriages are going to continue. God help us all. Um, Because, you know, not unlike Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, but certainly not as good as that film, um, you get these four people, just two couples who are thrown into a a situation that's not necessarily the end of the world. Uh And, And what's interesting is I went into this film expecting that they would be fighting with each other, that one couple versus the other couple. And it is that for a while. Mm-hmm. But then it turns into men versus women, and then then it's just a free for all. And you and what what made the film funny yet deeply depressing is that 
all this stuff comes out about each marriage and you just see these people seem to be miserable mm-hmm. and what's and, and and the film does seem to be and the and the the play seems to be making a statement about well I've read reviews that say, oh, it's all about, you know, polite society and like being nice on the surface, but then what's, what's going on underneath. And it is, it is certainly about that in a deeper way as well. It's not merely how we, how we try to relate to other people, but also how we relate to the people we love the most or claim to love the most. And that we're being surfacey and polite even with them, but we're just seething under the surface. (laughs) And I mean, like, I came away it's from like that. It's like me right now, season about the, uh, you, you, you giving me guff before we started recording. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then you completely undermining any opinion I might have <laughs> by saying that I was just giving Spielberg and Scorsese a pass. And so, um, that's what I heard. The, uh, <laughs> near what I said. <laughs> I know. And so, um, so yeah, I came away from that film just feeling as I so often do you know, paranoid that just like, Oh man, is my marriage like that now? Thankfully, no, I don't think it is at the very least because we haven't been married long enough for it to be that. Um, but, uh, but it just got me thinking about so often films. I maybe, and it's worth noting that a good number of the films I'm about to talk about are based on plays. Um, because I think there is something about, throwing people into a sort of a pressure cooker situation and just everything comes spilling out. But, um, that, and it just lends itself to just being on stage and being kind of a chamber piece. But, uh, but yeah, the, I think there is, like I said, there's something more dynamic about things ending, um, and starting and starting, which I want to get to in a bit. Yeah. But, um, but that's the thing is, we're talking about marriage specifically, not romantic movies. Romantic movies are usually about something starting and something is, things don't usually start when the marriage already exists. Um, I can think of an example out of the top of my head. Go ahead. Uh, Mira Nair's the namesake. I was going to say, unless it's arranged marriages. (laughs) Yeah. So did you see the namesake? No, I didn't. Um, I think you'd like it. It was advertised as though it's a Cal Penn film Mm -hmm. but he's only in sort of one of the main three sections because the main character are main characters are his parents Mm -hmm. um and that's yeah that's exactly what it's about it's an arranged marriage and it's about how they and it uh it's uh you know it's a movie that i liked when i saw it but then didn't spend a lot of time thinking about maybe because it came out in 2007 there was so Mm -hmm. much other great stuff yeah um but one that i think i've I need to revisit. I think more people need to see. Um, and I've always been a fan of Miranaya's work. She, of course, did Monsoon Wedding, mm-hmm. uh, which is brilliant. Um, but it's hard to even say if these two come to love each other, if that's even the right word for it. Um, because um, it, it depends on how you define love. Because t- you talked about things starting, how much that's often about romance. Mm-hmm. And there's not a whole lot of romance to the marriage in in the namesake. But there's also, the movie would argue, and I would agree with, there's also a lot more than just romance mm-hmm. to a long-term relationship, and especially marriage, I guess. I'm not married. But uh, would you, as a married person, would you agree that, I mean, romance is not the the alpha and the omega, not the end-all, be-all? That there are I would say that's- many other manifestations of love? 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and yeah, I think that's what the namesake is about. Yeah. So I think by by our sort of, uh, I guess, um, standard movie narratives of love, it's hard to see how the parents are in love, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. But there are so many other facets to it, that, and right. that's what it's. It's a pretty good movie. Cal yeah. Penn's in it, so it's got a couple strikes against it. But uh, is he bad in it? I've never thought he was. I like him in Harold and Kumar. And I, I haven't seen any of the Harold and Kumar. I've only films. seen the first one, but I've never th- thought he was a very. What about him, Van Wilder. You like him, in Van Wilder? No, I don't. <laughs> and he's currently recurring on this season of How I Met Your Mother, and it is, uh, it is annoying to me every time he's on screen because I really don't like his presence. Oh, I'm sorry. That's unfortunate. <laughs> um, as I was uh, as I was making a, uh, well, and there might even oh yeah. There's a couple more hash marks I need to make. Uh, as I was making my list, I realized that most of them uh, have to do with uh, marriages that are either that are either actively ending or probably will end or will at the very least continue but be just just awful. Like nobody's going going to be happy. Mm-hmm. So I'll go down the list and then we can decide which of these we want to talk about. Carnage, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, Revolutionary Road, Blue Valentine, which I haven't seen, The War of the Roses, The Ref, I haven't seen actually, In the Bedroom, <laughs> the ref. Faces, Closer, um, and Closer, then... Let's not talk about because it it's dumb. But I do think... <laughs> but it, You know what? I wrote down Closer as we were talking about the people, the idea of infidelity and having to forgive and continue and closer does have that the question then is do they forgive they do not um yeah but uh okay but then I, there's also I, scenes I mean, from like on. scenes Sorry. from like network and such yeah networks on my list too okay i, I don't know if i've because closer came up obviously before we were doing the podcast so mm-hmm. it's not fair of me to just say it's dumb mm-hmm. um i i don't like it for a lot of reasons mostly that it all feels so fake and that it's um a bunch of unlikely people having unlikely conversations um and it is a surface level look at what these issues that we've been talking about would actually do to people in a relationship so i wanted to give a mini review of closer because i don't want to be accused of just dismissively calling it dumb i approach it as melodrama mm-hmm. where and melodrama is not at all uh a stranger to um, unlikely characters saying unlikely things <laughs> in unlikely situations, um, but it's also it's also based on a play, and I do think a lot of the heightened emotion and just declaring what you're feeling, um, I think that is a bit more acceptable on stage when you're playing to the back row and all that sort of thing. Then how come it works? And how who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? Uh, I have no idea. I, well, I think it's. Wait a minute. Directed by the same yeah, guy. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I think also. I, I think that film just has, I think it's just written better. Um, but also just filmically, I think it's better. I feel like Mike Nichols is willing to settle for more in, uh, in closer and just willing to shoot in environments that aren't that interesting. Whereas the environments and the fact that it's shot in black and white, I think creates this air of, of, uh, melodrama and also just them staying in this cluttered house you just feel on edge just being there. Yeah, and you know... I think it does a better job of putting you in their emotions. um, To compare in a a very simple way, Closer and uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, we talk about unlikely places. Uh, 
Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf looks like, not only does it look like it takes place in a place where people live, it looks like it takes place in a place where these characters live. Right. It, I mean, they're they're supposed to be somewhat uh, academic types, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, I think uh, he's a professor, am I right? Yes. Um, and it, it, it has that professorial uh, clutter to it. Yeah, just knickknacks and yeah. all that. Whereas Closer takes, the, those all t- it all takes place in rooms where movie stars and movies live well it's just they're all yuppies you know and everything's also, nice I, and it, clean and yeah, just, yeah. It, it doesn't and I, it doesn't feel real i do think a lot of the actors specifically clive owen um i think do a very good job of actually selling the emotions i i i think natalie portman does pretty well uh jude law and, and julia roberts do well, but I really think it's Clive Owen's film. Like yeah, he, I agree. He's, he he reaches the level of intensity without saying, "Look how intense I'm being." Well, not to be glib or mean, but he's the only, in my opinion, the only real thespian in the cast. You haven't seen Black Swan, but uh, at the same <laughs> right, time, right. Uh, yes, I would say Jude Law can be very good in the right but, role, but not in that kind of role. Yeah, like he's good in Talented Mr. Ripley. He's good in AI. Like, and I think I think Jude Law is a guy like. I, I often accuse Natalie Portman of this, of uh, or or yeah, Natalie Portman. I'll stick with of people thinking they're better actors than they are because they're good at choosing projects. Yeah, possibly. And that's not a complete knock. I think there's something to said to be said for being good at choosing projects. Absolutely. Um, but nobody I, considers Cuba Gooding Jr. a good actor, <laughs> even though he's won an Oscar. Like it's. <laughs> right. If he picked better projects, he might be considered one of the best actors of it, uh, working right now, because he still has that talent. Uh huh. Just doesn't have that other talent, <laughs> um, but uh, but no, I think I think also just oh, <laughs> sorry. Uh, we are both looking at my cat, who is for no particular reason terrified of black cords, <laughs> and uh, but okay. he can't stop investigating them and then uh, jumping back. So, um, but yeah, and just I, closer is just obviously not as good. Uh-huh. Uh, it's not as good a script. Um, and so, uh, and I just think uh, there's a lot of reasons why Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf is a better film. But, uh, but yeah, and so, um, well, uh, I think making the characters, again, academics, mm-hmm. um, it makes the, uh, that simple choice makes the somewhat heightened dialogue more believable. Also, look at Wonder Boys. Yeah, uh, and the okay. way that the characters talk to each other there, because they're people who read a lot, mm-hmm. and maybe you know uh, read a lot of of fiction or plays or or whatever that's informed the the way they speak. And also in Virginia Woolf, these are characters that are they are educated, and they know how to use words to mask what they're really feeling, and so and give the impression that they're putting a lot of themselves out there when in fact they aren't. Whereas in Closer, I think everyone's just putting themselves out there. And there are secrets and stuff, but it's just not just not very not a very literate script. I still I still like the film, mm-hmm. but of course, I mean compared to Virginia Woolf, it's nothing. It's, it just doesn't even <laughs> register. But um and I didn't see I didn't see Blue Valentine, but uh but Revolutionary Road, I mean that is a film that and I, I've talked about uh the I think it was in my top ten at the time, which again speaks to not how not great that year was. That was two thousand eight, um, and so yeah, my, I I think we talked just a couple weeks ago that looking at my top ten of two thousand eight now, it 
Uh, I mean, this might have been an off mic conversation, mm. but like, it just looks like it's just a bad, not a good. There's, year. I mean, there's some films that I stand by, of course, but uh, but I mean, the fact that I, I talked about how um, I don't want to give away my number eleven film this year would be my number one in two thousand eight. Mm-hmm. Um, conversely, Slumdog Millionaire, which is in my top ten of two thousand eight, wouldn't be anywhere near the top ten this year. No, no, not at all. Um, the Visitor, which was my number one for that year, might might still be up there. And Rachel getting married, I think, which I don't yeah, think I had I'd seen at the time of our episode. But um, but yeah, and so excuse me, uh, let me make sure that uh, what was I talking about? Oh, Revolutionary Road. And yeah, because so, I want to address this. Yeah, too. the I all I do remember thinking at the time. Uh, that the casting was very interesting because they cast DiCaprio and Kate Winslet who were part of the greatest love story of all time uh-huh. in Titanic. And it, it almost just in casting them in this, in this film, it almost seemed like Sam Mendes was making some sort of comment, uh, that is very, so much more depressing than any comment directly made in the film. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and at the time, I think I really liked that, and I still might like that. I, I, I kind of do like the idea of that. But I do remember when we had uh, uh, Matt Belknap and Joel Church, Co- Joel Church Cooper on. Uh, Matt was had such a uh-huh. problem with that. He's like, "Hey, don't do that." Like he was <laughs> like he was very upset, and and, he, and I think he also said like, "Go back to your own country and make comments about it." All right, stop talking about us with American Beauty and Jarhead and <laughs> Road to Perdition and this. And um, so, um, but that's do. I like I like Revolutionary Road, but and there's aspects of it that I think are just a, amazing. Mm-hmm. But I mean, that is just a. I mean, I know people who just hate it because there's like it's like watching just one long fight. Yeah, it's not easy to watch. No, but uh, I love it, and maybe that's because I am a contrarian. I just maybe yeah. <laughs> I don't like to watch stuff that's difficult to sit through. But um, uh, oh, I've got so much i need to say okay um just start saying it okay so but not not about other stuff besides revolutionary road, but let's start okay. with the revolutionary road and this will take us back to the cheating thing okay um their marriage is not a marriage that doesn't work because he cheated he cheated because their marriage doesn't work yeah it stopped and, working a long time ago <laughs> yeah and the way that you know is because I guess this is kind of a spoiler for Revolutionary Road, but if you haven't seen it by now, you're probably not going to. It's not like it's on everyone's must-see. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Um, uh, the, the neighbors – this isn't a spoiler what happens at the end, but the neighbor couple, Catherine Hahn and I can't remember the guy's name. Um, I don't remember either. Uh, but, again, I won't go too much into spoilers, but he cheats on his wife as well. Mm-hmm. But I get the feeling at the end that their marriage is going to work. Um. I do think that I do think their marriage has has problems, as indicated by when there's a moment when he ag- states agreement with her. He uh-huh. states he says, "Oh, that's what I think," and and she just is so flabbergasted at the idea that they are on the same page about something <laughs> that she starts crying yeah. due to happiness. Yeah, and so what? I feel like that's indicative say, of something. I shouldn't say their marriage is going to work. Their marriage is going to last. Yeah, it'll keep going. <laughs> yeah, it's... much like I mean, the very end of the film, which I actually do have a problem with, uh, the the older couple down there, Kathy Bates and her. Uh, yeah, husband, that that is a little too on the nose in its commentary. Well, um, and just and to 
let, let's specify what happens where you see Kathy Bates and her husband. So they're they're older now. They're, they probably married easily more than 30, 40 years. And um, and she's like yammering on about something. And then you see him like turn down his hearing aid. So and just like he still looks at her and smiles and stuff, but he's not actually hearing her. Uh-huh. And that's a very cynical thing. And part of me was trying to think like, well, maybe it's making this argument that like sometimes you just do something for somebody else. You don't say, shut up, I'm not listening. But then I, part of me was like, okay, I'm just giving the film way too much credit. How about this? Listen to her. Yeah. There's an idea. <laughs> if, you want to be opti- if you want to try to communicate something optimistic, have, her, have him actually be listening to her. But the, the point that Sam Mendy seems to be making is that he seemed, I, I think he'd be on board with Dan Savage. I think he's uh-huh. almost anti-monogamy, <laughs> or at least the... I don't know if he is, but the film seems to be. Um, now, uh, I start working maybe towards an end point, but I've got a lot to say left. Um, you mentioned Titanic being the greatest love story ever told. Obviously, you don't actually believe that. I don't believe that, but I do understand that it is a big movie yeah. that everybody knows. But the reason it's not the greatest love story ever told is because if... Spoilers for Titanic. If Jack doesn't die at the end, if they go to America together, that relationship lasts maybe a couple months, and then it's over. And then she realizes, like, this guy can't provide for me. Is that (laughs) what you're talking about? I don't think it's that simple, but um, she's way, way smarter than he is um, and more ambitious than he is. I think she she leaves him behind in a couple months. It's uh, a great love story, quote-unquote, because it's like Romeo and Juliet. It's a story of young passion and that feeling. Well, you and I both don't really like Romeo and Juliet, <laughs> no, as, I, I, as seen as this incredibly romantic, yes, I don't timeless like that thing. read of it because yeah. it's about teenagers, uh, yeah, and falling in lust with each other, and th- and that type of infatuation should not be marginalized. It is a very powerful thing when you're when you're that age, right? Um, and worth making movies about. But I just, yeah, I do have a problem with people holding it up as some. Uh, great love story um but this brings me to something and this is kind of a transition uh or i guess it is a transition so uh come with me here uh i think one of the greatest love stories about uh, of all time and one that only kind of fits this li- this list because it isn't until the very end that it's about marriage at all is when harry met sally mm. because that's not a, a young passionate torrid love affair that maybe takes place over 10 years yeah you know, and we see um, who's it? Bruno Kirby and Carrie Fisher. Is yeah. that the uh, you know? Uh, we see we see that marriage, the good and the bad of it. it you know, um, and Billy Crystal is not a guy who's into marriage. You know, um, and it takes him ten years of growing as a person, seeing other marriages, but also getting to know Sally mm-hmm. to under to come to the point at the end where he delivers what is still to me one of the greatest movie lines of all time uh it's a yeah yeah um when you realize when to spend the rest of your life with the person you want the rest of your life to start as soon as possible um i'm paraphrasing i don't know if i got it exactly right but um uh i mean that that line is of course a very romantic line but it's also about him taking that 10 years to come to understand what Mm -hmm. uh what marriage is, what a lifelong commitment means and what it's worth and mm-hmm. what it takes to want to make that. And it's pretty organic too. Like it's, yeah. it, it doesn't, it doesn't just happen overnight, you know, three quarters of the way into the film. It's, 
it gradually comes along. And I think he has got in their relationship, I think he can picture what their marriage will be. It's not going to be without troubled times, Mm -hmm. you know, and but he knows that their friendship has weathered that and that they have kept going and that he continues to be attracted to her and she continues to be attracted to him. Not that it started that way, certainly. But um, but yeah, I think because I think he goes in. I think their marriage is going to be very healthy, actually, because they both go in eyes wide open about what to expect. They know they already know that like, oh, I'm sure they don't think, oh, I'm sure we'll stop fighting once we get married. Right. Like that's uh-huh. that doesn't happen. But uh, but yeah. And that's and so I think that that is one of the greatest love stories. And yes, it's only towards the end that it's a, a marriage thing. But uh, but yeah. Oh, man, you do have the Internet going right now and it is distracting me uh, because uh, well, um, there's another movie I want to talk about that also isn't really specifically about marriage until the very end, at least not in terms of its main two characters. Um, and that's Jerry Maguire. You talked about Cuba Gooding Jr. winning mm-hmm. his Oscar. Now, oh, you talk about marriages on, in movies that work. Cuba Gooding Jr. and um, uh, Regina King mm-hmm. in that movie, that is a great, great marriage. Yeah. You know, they are uh, they are clearly best friends. And and I like that it's not the that it's not thrust in your face. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it, it's it's not like you don't get the scenes of like Tom Cruise. Like you don't get any sort of like heavily like, like a, a, a stare of great import where he like realizes like this is what I need in my life. It just organically happens. He's spending mm-hmm. more time with him. He's spending more time with Renee Zellweger. You know, um, he's obviously from the beginning got something missing in his life, mm-hmm. and I think Jim McGuire might be. Uh, there's one way you could read it that it's one of the most pro marriage movies of all time because it's really saying like uh, finding someone to spend the rest of your life with will make you whole. I mean, that's why it has mm-hmm. the you complete me right. line. You know, that's that's what it's that's what it's for. And um, I like the way that the community junior Regina King characters are a through line of an example of a marriage that really works and also a good example for um, Tom Cruise and Renee Zellweger to mm-hmm. to look to and to realize that they have the, the, or at least could have what those two have. And uh, so how much more stuff do you have to say? Um, I got through most of it. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to say pretty much all of it. Because I think I'm going to use that to bring us back around to uh, good to good things um yeah uh so listeners of more than one lesson my other podcast know that there is a film out there called fireproof <laughs> that's a bad movie nothing good about it here's why i bring it up because it starts Kirk cameron right yeah. So there's something good about it. There's something good about it in that, I mean, you can watch it and, and feel, you know, like when people say, like, I cut myself so I can feel something. You watch <laughs> Fireproof to, so that you can feel rage. Okay. Um, because it, it just... I just meant that he's a, he's a dreamboat. You know what? He's kind of retained that. <laughs> um, he's, still, he's still a pretty good looking guy. But um, <clears throat> the reason do, I... Do you bring, think your wife would kiss him? Here's why, why that's funny. Um, not, it has nothing to do with my wife. But um, do you know the, Do you know anything about Fireproof? He's a fireman, right? He is a fireman, yes. That's all I know. <laughs> um, he, uh, 
I think what you need to start doing now that you've st- done stuff like Adventureland and stuff, I think uh-huh. instead of saying like fireman, policeman, say fireman and <laughs> right. policeman yeah. as if they were superheroes. <laughs> so, but no, he had a thing where, um, and I try not to quite so publicly make fun of fellow Christians, but sometimes I just can't help it. Um, cause I'm, I'm, I'm sh- asking for it. Listen to this story. So in the film, his character is married to this to this woman, and it's all about them rekindling uh, their marriage. And by the way, that is not necessarily the worst thing to explore. Precious few movies of any kind explore that. Uh-huh. People who are not in a great marriage trying to make it better. Um, and so, of course, the execution is awful. But um, You know what was good at that, back to TV, when it did it right, was Big Love. Mm, I didn't um, say it. Because you've got the uh, the original um, Gene Triplehorn and Bill Paxton marriage. That's mm-hmm. the initial one. And then all these uh, these other ones came aboard. And obviously it's hurt the initial relationship. And there there's a there's like a storyline in like season two or something where they're essentially dating again in secret from the other wives. And it's like both a bad thing because they're keeping secrets from their spouses. But it's also a beautiful rekindling of a love. When that show was good, it was really I good. I was going to ask just now, knowing full well that you totally hated it by the end, <laughs> is it is it something you would recommend I watch, knowing full well that's where I'm going to be headed? If you can if you can make amends with the idea of watching 3 seasons and then stopping and not watching the last two, I'd say you'd enjoy the first two. I've seasons. done that before, but that's with shows that are that I I go into knowing they've been canceled. Maybe I'll just act like it got canceled. Yeah, act like it got canceled to season three. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, so uh, so Kirk Cameron's uh, character is married to this woman, and uh, at the very end of the film, they have a very uh, passionate kiss. And uh, Kirk Cameron, the actor, said that he did not want to kiss somebody who is not his actual wife. Um, and so what they did is they they shot it in silhouette, threw a wig on his actual wife who has a similar body type, the woman who plays his wife. And they shoot, so they shoot it in like a wide shot, by the way, um, in silhouette. And you see like this nice kiss and all that kind of thing. And so part of me is like, uh, really? Like, this is why you got out of acting and should have stayed out of acting because you are not an actor because yeah. an actor it's you know what here's the thing it's one thing if you if you say you know what i'm not going to do any nude scenes i'm not going to do any like really intimate scenes that i i get that to a certain extent yeah not even to a what, certain extent i wh- get that what about all the bearing false witness he's been doing when he's been telling people he's a fireman yeah my name is caleb oh no <laughs> so um so yeah so yeah so that's the that that story is so okay the reason I brought up that episode... And is that story told as, like... Oh, yeah. Uh, like, isn't it's told great? As, like, he's... Yeah. Look how different we are than Hollywood. Ugh. <sighs> anyway, disgusting. so... Um, and this is, by the way, a good example of how not biased I am because of my Christianity. Because I tend to philosophically agree with a lot of the things put forth in that film. That film is a monster. That <laughs> film is just a train wreck. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, it is a monster responsible for a train wreck. The reason I brought it up at like all. Super 8. Like, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, let's talk about Super 8. Um, <laughs> the reason I brought it up at all is because in my episode about it, I, the companion film was Mr. and Mrs. Smith, 
which I think, oddly enough, is one of the best depictions of marriage I've ever seen. Uh-huh. These two people, yeah. they enter into a marriage of convenience. It works out like they basically they're both hit you know hit people and um i want to be correct <laughs> no i like that they're both hit people and so they they get into it as a cover but then they have to keep that going and so they're holding they ha- have secrets from each other they're both in it really for themselves but they still have to make make it work at the very least on the surface and really what the film is about is these people not being able to keep that going and discovering each other's secrets and just feeling betrayed and feeling frustrated and just wanting to hurt one another as a result of that betrayal but then eventually coming coming closer and working together and then realizing that they work better together than they ever did separately and really embracing like what marriage is yeah and so it's you have you seen it oh yeah a couple times like and in the midst of what i think is a very very good action film it's actually like it's surprising how uh how pro marriage the film is especially yeah. considering that that's the film that drove apart jennifer <laughs> anderson and brad pitt yeah. but um so that's one yeah, as an action film that that minivan car chase is awesome it's great yeah. it, that's a good that's just a good movie all around i saw it uh it came out on uh, the day before my uh wedding and so right. we saw it on your honeymoon on my honeymoon because we do cheesy stuff like that because mr and mrs smith get it anyway but the last film i want to talk about and i don't want to talk about it in too much detail because it's a new film uh but it is it brought a tear to my eye uh and that is take shelter that is a marriage that's going to last and it's meaningful and it, it just it is a marriage that is going through something right and you, and you've been taught by film to, and for those that, that don't know, it's about in the broadest strokes, it's about this guy who's having what might be a mental breakdown or is actually seeing visions of some on, on you know, coming apocalypse. And he's married and has a, has a daughter. And we've been, we've been taught by film to expect that his wife is going to leave him. Or, or is just going to be like, I can't take this. I've tried. I'm, and, they, and she sticks with him for as long as she can, but she just can't do it anymore. In this film, we do have those moments where she just feels like she can't take it anymore, but she sticks with it because she cares about this man. It's not merely she cares about him until it becomes incredibly difficult. Mm-hmm. You know, I hate to say it. For richer, for poorer, for better, for worse. This is worse. This one is yeah. worse. You talked about um, the Connors and Roseanne arguing for whole episodes. I yeah. mean, they're, they're disagreeing in this movie more often than not. Oh, yeah. And yet that undercurrent of strength in their relationship and of mutual uh, care is there. And there is a scene that I'm getting choked up now thinking about it, where he has a very public kind of a breakdown. Uh-huh. And you don't know what she's going to do. And then what she chooses to do is so wonderful. And, and okay, so cat's out of the bag. I was of episode 249. So like I said, this last year has been a little rough for me. Uh-huh. And, uh, and I've been going through some shit. And I know that it probably was not necessarily very easy for my wife. But she has uh, really stuck by me. And that's, that scene and that film in general um, just made me just feel so great about like what marriage as a concept can be to have one person who loves you and will stand by you 
no matter what what you're going through and uh, and that's very I don't know that's pretty great as opposed to a film like JFK which I love JFK but you have Sissy Spacek who just she's she's in it to a certain extent but she just loses faith in her husband mm-hmm. pretty quick and and she winds up just being kind of this frustrating character but uh, but take shelter I, I don't I don't know if it's in any theaters anymore and certainly in some cities it's yeah I hope I if hope. it ever came there it's certainly yeah. long gone um, but yeah, it'll be um, uh, out on DVD and Blu-ray soon, I'm sure. Yeah, um, pretty soon. So uh, I think that's a good... We started with talking about 2011, end with a 2011 movie. I there think that's, go. a, that's a good thing. Although, of course, I won't end with a 2011 movie because I like to do the thing in this episode where I talk about... Or just mention movies that I didn't get to oh, talk about. Oh, indeed, yes. I mean, you, you mentioned Brief Encounter, which is definitely on my list, but I should I would also uh, recommend Shall We Dance, not the American remake. What are you talking about? <laughs> the the original uh, Japanese film is is great. And we talked about Arranged Marriage. I didn't get to talk about Like Water for Chocolate, which is mm-hmm. one of my all-time favorite movies. Um, uh, what else? Uh, Intimacy is a uh, film by uh, Patrice Chereau, um, a French filmmaker, but it's actually an English uh, film. Timothy Spall is in it um, in a smallish part. Um, but that's definitely a good film from the point of view of the cheater that doesn't make apologies but still uh, encourages us just on a human level to understand the cheating. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a, that's, a, that's a pretty good film. Um. What else? Moonstruck. Just because you got to see Moonstruck, it's awesome. Still haven't seen it. Oh, it's so great. No. Um. That's probably about it. Kramer versus Kramer. I wrote down, but oh, that's not yeah. a movie about marriage. It's a movie about divorce. The word "versus" is in it. Right. Is in the title. Um. And I. I'm sorry. I have not seen scenes from a marriage, which I know everyone says. Is you'd think that that would be like top of the list have if you you're seen, going to discuss it at all. Have you seen scenes from a mall? No, I hear it's awful. Yeah, me too. Um, I've never seen it, but uh, but no scenes from. But I believe scenes from marriage is also it's like a six hour thing. It was a uh, like a TV thing, right? Yeah, and so in that, and so, and I do hear that there's it's it's much closer to what we've been talking about with television, where it has the time to sort of stretch its legs and show some of the smaller nuances and the ups and downs and that sort of thing. Again, I haven't seen it. Everything about it seems like my kind of thing. Uh, so far, I just haven't really had the time to commit to it. Um, but uh, but I do really want to see it. Um, yeah, and I'm trying to think uh, the other things. I didn't talk much about Faces, which uh, which is unfortunate. And I didn't talk about Woman Under the Influence. And that's a wonderful film about, much like Take Shelter, trying to stand by somebody who is going through, who's really, can't really offer you much. Um but uh, then there's the Stepford Wives, uh, Notes on a Scandal, uh, Network, Before the Devil Knows You're Dead, uh, Knocked Up. And some of these have to do with like subplots and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Uh, Extract, Hannah and Her Sisters, The Kids Are All Right, The Philadelphia Story, uh, The Thin Man. Oh! <laughs> the Thin Man is maybe one of the best. Yeah. I, I did mention earlier that, yes... Uh, you seldom see marriages that work really re- – that are just people who are in love with each other and they're just living their lives. You very seldom see that unless they're focusing on something else. And I think The Thin Man is a good example of that, which is they're trying to solve this case. And But the chemistry they have – I mean they really are like 
each other's best friend and it's we want really i don't think a, a month or two goes by without us saying how much we love the thin man so everyone should yeah. go see it yeah so um all right well as usual you can find uh you please head over to battleshippretension.com not only for these episodes but also for uh reviews of theatrical releases and um dvd and blu-ray releases releases as well as some features now this upcoming week we don't have any new reviews and because i think that's because either none of our writers could make it to the screening of man on a ledge Mm. or none of them wanted to (laughs) i'm not sure which one it was um i don't i don't think it's an either or situation david i think (laughs) it's entirely possible it's both uh, but there are some movies getting wider releases um, from earlier earlier in the uh, last year that um, you can find reviews on. So search for reviews of uh, Lynn Ramsey's "We Need to Talk About Kevin," um, Rodrigo Garcia's "Albert Nobbs," and uh, Agnieszka Holland's "In Darkness." Uh, I think are all going to be in a bunch more theaters across the country this weekend. And so, uh, Coriolanus yeah. is another one. Uh, the- well, that's yeah, that's currently of this past weekend. Oh, okay. uh, I'm talking about opening the 27th. Since oh, I see. I see. Yeah, got it. Um, that's that's what's coming up. Uh, so that can all be found at battleshippretension.com. And of course, you can email us at david at battleshippretension.com or tyler at battleshippretension.com. Follow me, David, on Twitter at twitter.com slash thepretension. Follow Tyler at twitter.com slash more lessons, which is the official Twitter of his other podcast, More Than One Lesson, which you can find at morethanonelesson.com or on iTunes. And you can find my other podcast, the weekly television review show Previously On, at previouslyonshow.com or in iTunes. All right. Well, this is a, this was a fun discussion. How long was this? Uh, 148. Right oh, boy. All right. Well, Sorry, everybody. Okay. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll get you next time. Bye. Bye.